August 25th, 2022, we're in Masechet Sanhedrin and six lines from the bottom, the last word on the line. Says the Gemara, Amar Baraba, What does it mean, perhaps, in the Dirasha world and explanations of the Hakamim, the Pasuk in Tehilim, There can be two explanations to this Pasuk. And first and foremost, that ra'a, evil, should not, te'une, should not come in contact with you, or so to speak, cause accidents for you. Venecha and blemishes, and necha, uh, better yet, is a plague, should not be come close to your aholecha, to your tent. It sounds like your dwelling place. Firstly, lo te'une elecha ra'a, shulo yishlot becha yeser hara. First and foremost, the reference of not having that ra'a, it's a reference to the yeser hara. You should not be afflicted, you should not be uh, brought down by that yeser hara. It's not to say that you shouldn't have a yeser hara, it's part and parcel of humanity. The hachamim tell us in many circumstances, it's how we're born. We're born with a necessary drive to wrong, which we need to appropriately head-on uh, meet and, and overcome that challenge, but it means you shouldn't be yishlot, yishlot melashon shelita, you shouldn't be dominated by the yeser hara. And secondly, venecha lo yikrav be'aholecha is a continued explanation of that lo uh, which means to say, at the end of the pasuk then says, once I'm telling you you shouldn't be overcome, burdened, and, and conquered, so to speak, by the yeser hara, let me give you a primary example of such primary example of such, says the Gemara, שלא תימסה איש או תימסה אשתך ספק נידה בשעה שתבוא מן הדרך. When you come back from a trip, when it was a difficult trip, or even if it was an easy trip, a person at that time is a little bit excited to see their wife. If you're excited to see your wife at that time, and the reference in the Pasuk then of Ohel, Shuvu Lachem Le'aholechem, the Chachamim Adoresh is a reference to your wives, go back to your wives, for uh, involvement with relations. The Gemaran Masechet Mo'ed Katan and Davzayin has the Ohel being a reference to wives. In turn, the reference in this Pasuk is you returned from that trip. You haven't seen her in some time and she's in the state of being of Safek Nida. It's uncertain based on whatever circumstances she's going through, whether she's actually in her period or not. In that situation, Yeser Hara really is burning through. That's a very difficult situation. means you shouldn't even come close to that plague of Yeser Hara. And what about that she is a Nida? If she is a Nida, unequivocally, without a doubt, it's a lot easier if you're steadfast in your belief, in your, in your system of, of practice, to hold back. If she's Safik Nida, if it's uncertain, if it means a phone call to the rabbi who's also not certain, if she's uncertain about the reality, whatever the circumstances are, it's over there that it's most difficult. That's why the Gemara gives that as the paradigmatic example of a ravaging Yetzer Hara in that circumstance. You should only hope that that isn't a, a test of yours, so to speak, the Dirasha has over here. Davar Acher, alternatively, a different explanation to this pasuk. Lo halamot ra'im ra'im. The first reference in the pasuk of not having those accidents through ra'a or with ra'a is that dreams and, and, uh, and wrongful and difficult thoughts should not overcome you. ben 
או תלמיד שמקדיח תבשילו ברבים. That's really why this was referenced in our Gemara. We were talking about kings and sons of kings. Menashe, the son of Hezkiah, who was makdiah, who burnt his tavshil barabim, which means to say he turned to the evil side of doing avodah zarah. So the second part of the pasuk, lo it's not, so to, not to per se the uh, challenge that you have upon yourself. By the way, you could text, I got the zoo going if they're able to. Um, but rather it's a reference to aholecha, meaning your progeny, your children. You should only, on matters that are sometimes out of your control, you may have put all in in order to raise them appropriately, but you should, uh, both with students and sons, uh, only have the blessing that they don't then go off the path that you've hopefully uh, attempted to put them and direct them on. Says the Gemara, if we're to look at that pasuk in Tehillim, we can understand that first part of the pasuk, and Rashi explains this is just from context, just with regards to the types of blessings that are mentioned in these pesukim. The first type is the type of blessing a father would give to their child. So says the Gemara, Adkan Berecho Aviv. That first reference in the pesukim is a father's blessing to, uh, to, to his child. And this pesukim and tehillim, that was the blessing to David in the eyes of the rabbis uh, from his father. Son, you should only be able to overcome those uh, evil inclinations. You should only be able to see a circumstance where out of control, you nonetheless are able to have a certain control and seize a possession of those futures. Mikan ve'elach, when it's the more practical, down-to-earth matters in those pesukim and the mizmorim tehilim, berachto immo, it came from his mother. In other words, this is piecing it together. It's, sort of, it's in, in a certain way injecting the vision of the hachamim, what sort of blessing would come from whom? What are the next pesukim? Kimalacha v'sabelach lishmocha bechoder achecha al kapay misauncha al shachavafet in tidroch. The next reference in the pesukim adkan berachto imo. That's all from his mother. It's the very practical, down to earth um, guidance, blessing. You should have no evil befall you. Not so much that you shouldn't be overcome by the urge to evil and to wrongdoing, but in this world you shouldn't be overcome by the out of contact, out of touch reality in which something comes at you and something befalls you, that's the mother's guidance or, or rather blessing to their child. What about the last part of the Mizmor? Mikan ve'elach be'erachto shamayim. That's from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How do you know? Ki bi'hashak. The statement is because uh, he, to me, hashak, he willed, he was passionate. That's a reference, of course, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's Kivyachol, God speaking up and saying, you were interested in me. Va'afaletehu, asageveu ki shemi, is knowledge of my name. Asageveu, I'll raise him up. Afaleteu means I'll take him out of dangerous way. Because he's passionately approaching me, which means it's a reference to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's a fascinating thing. Chachamim envisioned this mizmor as being broken into three parts parts to a certain extent. The first part is the blessing of father to son. The next part is mother to son. The first one being the uh, inclinations you should have or success in overcoming them. The second one is the world's effect upon you. You should be able to have them repelled, sent away from you. And lastly, the references to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, to, to an individual, to David HaMelech specifically over here. And Ki Adashimi Yikra'eni, he'll call out to me, he'll cry to me. The reference in the Pesukim 
being, to a long life, to my connection with him. Of course, those are references to God, to human being. HaKadosh Baruch Hu to David HaMelech. Amar Bishimon ben Lakish, my dichtiv, says the Gemara onward, we're going to be back to these terrible, rotten, evil kings that we had over the course of our existence. Pasuk says, uh, uh, in, uh, in Tehillim, Pasuk says uh, the, the following. Before we get back to the evil ones, let's just take a look at this Pasuk, ex- excuse me, in Eov. So the Pasuk talks about from the wicked ones. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Monea Oram. He doesn't give them the full light that perhaps they deserve or you'd expect. They don't have full perspective. They don't have absolute success. Uzroa Rama and their strong arms, Tishaver, those who are wicked, God has a way of foiling their plans, taking away from their strength. Now, if you look at that pasuk based on our Masoret, as it's written, if it were written in a scroll, it would be as follows. The ayin of the word mereshaim, the second word in the pasuk, is tiluya, which means to say it's written higher than the rest of the word. You would look at it, mereshin is written on one line, and then the ayin is written above. It uh, kind of looks like it's hovering above the word, and then you have the Yod and Mem, which is in line as well, which means to say, although the word is read as Mereshaim, it looks like Merashim, because the Ayin is uh, taken out of the word. Why is it taken out of the word? And what does the word Rash mean? According to Rashi first, the word Rash, certainly in Hebrew, does mean poor, means downtrodden and low. Says the Gemara, the Dirashah goes as follows, Kevan Asa Adam Rash Milemata Na'asa Rash Milema'ala. The reference in the Pasuk is when you are lowly, not in a positive way, but with regards to relationship with others, in your relationship lemata in this world, if you're not able to get along with others, if others look at you and they laugh or they're angered by you, well then your relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu as well is envisioned as one which is rash, diminished and lowly. It's the, it's the, it's the uh, Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. What's the way that you should uh, Adam that a person should choose in this world? It's not only that you're striving for a, a positive and, and a fruitful relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but it's Tiferet Lo Min HaAdam. It needs to be that human beings appreciate your presence and your way in this world. That's the reference then in the Pasuk. Alternatively, Yad Rama reads the word Rash as Rosh. Any person who amongst human beings puts himself or herself as Rosh. They prop themselves up. They look at others and they say, but I'm the one who's in charge. Then you are Lashamaim Rash. On the flip side, you're Rash Lashamaim. It's that haughtiness which you think that you are able to rightfully possess in this world. HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at you and says, yeah, but in our relationship, you're a nothing because it appears as if you think you're greater than all else. Either way, you slice it. The reference in the Pasuk has this veiled double reading. Instead of just reading it as wicked ones, it's teaching you about a way to avoid. So if that's the reference, if that's the lesson of the Pasuk, that Yimana Mereshaim is not to be read as Reshaim, but rather Rashim Oram, HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes away the light, the success of 
above those who are either lowly or prop themselves above others. So leave out the ayin. It has nothing to do with wicked people. It's really about the people who place themselves above others or are not interested in the relationship of others. Rashi and Yad Rama answers the Gemara, Rabbi Yohanan verbili Ezer, Hadamar mipne kevodo shel David, Hadamar mishum kevodo shel Nehamia ben Hachaliah. It's for one of the two individuals respecting and honoring them. David HaMelech, as Rashi points out, was never beloved by all. He wasn't beloved by all. He must have been a uh, rash. He must have done something wrong. Either he propped himself above others or he wasn't seeking a proper relationship. It's Kevodo Shel David. Also have it as Reshaim. We're really only referring to the ones who are doing it from a source of Resha, of evil, of wrongdoing. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. The word rash, when I, we have it in several places, rash means low, downtrodden, yeah. And over there we're turning to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and asking for strength for us who are, uh, who are lowly. That's right. Why David? Give me, give me a second to flesh out Nehemiah. Yosef's an interesting one, but keep in mind Yosef's only with his brothers. Yeah. At, at, at large, I don't... I hear you. Interesting. I, I, you, you, you have an angle on Yosef. It's last week also. No, no, no. When I talked about Shechem, you right away said Yosef. I don't know. I mean, we could point. We could point to many. I mean, oh, you're saying because he's early. You could point to Mordechai according to the vision of the Hachamim as well. Not a hundred percent certain. Uh, first, uh, the, without answering your question, who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah, of course, is in the times after Ezra or contemporary of Ezra. And we know about Nehemiah. He's the one who brings forth a certain order to Am Yisrael on their return to Eretz Yisrael and the rebuilding of the Mikdash. Says Rashi from Pesukim in, in, in Ketubim, Nehemiah was not beloved by all. First and foremost, by the non-Jews, many of them, for building the Mikdash. They tried to prevent it. And then Rashi has a Lishna Aharinai, has a different interpretation. He wasn't beloved by the Jews of the time period for one reason or another. Keep in mind, Nehemiah was looking not only to order the service, the worship in the Mikdash, he was also putting together matters with the people. He was trying to prevent Isurim and Halakha, wrongful marriages and, and so forth. And so he was... Far from beloved. Well, wait a second. He must have been the rash that the pasuk was talking about. He lost his or he lost his popularity, his success amongst the people because he was doing wrongfully. No, both he and David were marching straight with regards to their approach to matters. Not always is it imana mereshaim merashim oram because they're doing wrong, but always from reshaim. If you're doing it from a source of evil and wrongfulness, that's where it will be. Says the Gemara. In turn, each of these opinions are explaining why the ayin is still in the pasuk, why it says mereshaim, and not just flat out rashim. Reshaim meaning the reality, rashim meaning the general approach. Tanur Rabbanan, here we are, back to those melachim. Not all of them mentioned in our Mishnah, but the first one is with regards to some of the many not great kings we've had in our nation. Menashe, hayashone hamishim hamisha panim betorat kohanim. A fascinating vision of the Hachamim. Says, says the Gemara, this Beraita Menashe, again, the third of our trifecta of kings who potentially lost their portion in the world to come, he would, and he had 55 different approaches 
or limudim, call it, you know, ma'arachot, shi'urim in Torah Kohanim. Torah Kohanim is Sefer Vayikra. And 55 and Sefer Vayikra is no easy portion. Keep in mind as well, Menashe, together with all these others, is far from regular worship and service in the Mikdash. They're moving people away. They're adding Avodah Zarah. Nonetheless, he has 55 interpretations. Keneget Shanei Malchuto. After all, we read the Pasuk yesterday and the day before that Menashe ruled. He was in control of, of Yisrael for 55 years, 55 years. Each one of those years, he had another interpretation too, of all books, again, Menashe, Sefer Vayikra. Oh, not only did, does he sound good, we had that Yeravan ben Avat was studying Torah at higher levels than anyone else at the time of his um, you know, falling down. Uh, there, there are, and we know it, uh, unfortunately from our own lives, there are many people who are, have wisdom, have insight into Torah, who at their core, for some reason or another, have shifted, have, have skewed their proper approach to matters, that they can use that wisdom, that chokmah, even a certain aspect of Kedushah in the wrong direction, and in turn make it much worse than they would have been had they had None of that knowledge. I will mention, that's what I was getting at with regards to the Sefer Vayikrav, all things. I'll mention in this context, I wonder if the Hakamim are kind of provoking us to pay attention to that. What's with Sefer Vayikrav? What were in those interpreters? It doesn't say 55 proper interpretations. It's potential that they're getting at. He had 55 ways of reading Sefer Vayikra that it accords with his approach to Avodah Zarah, to worship of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, together with others, to a certain rebellion. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Not it not is, Hidushim. what's that? Maybe it is not, not proper Hidushim. Not Hidushim. That's right. But I'm saying, but nobody was per se able to refute them. Uh, oftentimes when a person has a bias, a person has, has a direction they want things to go in, and they're brilliant, if they are, and a king who's persuasive in his word and his ways, you have a way of setting forth, says the Gemara, but if you think we convinced you with Menashe, listen to this, Ahav, Ahav was that other king, remember? The other one who lost his portion. He was the, uh, the husband of Izevil. He does not great things. He brings the Baal into control, or the Abu uh, Dazara, known as Baal, and those who worship it. He killed Navot. He has his encounters with Eliyahu and Navi. Shimonim v'chamisha. Add 30 more for Ahav to the interpretation of Sefer Vayikran. Yeravam, our top, our worst, most king, Mea Ushloshi, 130, each one of those numbers being significant in their own right. Says Gemara Amor Tanya, and Beraita Hayar Bimeir Omer, Avshalom. Avshalom was the son of David who rebelled against David. Tell us about him. He doesn't have a portion of the world to come. Interesting. It wasn't mentioned in our Mishnah. Of course, the Beraita at times will fill in or disagree even with the Mishnah. So here it is. It would be Meir's opinion that add to the list of three kings, a fourth, his name being Avshalom, he who rebelled against his father. He also lost his portion in the world to come. The double reference of they struck him. This is at his downfall, obviously, in the final attempted rebellion against his father. They strike him. And then they kill him. They strike him in Olam Hazeh. Interestingly, the Pasuk is talking about human beings doing this, but the Derashav Rabbi Meir is 
uh, in the world to come, meaning outside of the hands of human beings, they strip from him in the heavenly abode uh, the opportunity for Olam Haba. Tanya, Rabbi Shimon ben El Azar, Omer, Mishum Rabbi Meir, Ahaz ve Ahazia, Ahaz and Ahazia, two of the kings, not good ones, Vechol Malchei Israel, and all the other kings of Israel, says Rashi, read those words very carefully, Malchei Israel, but not those kings who came from Malchut Bet David, because the words we're going to describe, uh, uh, we're going to use to describe those kings, those other kings, are used in Shilomo's context, another as well, but that's Malchut Bet David, different status. When we're talking about Malchei Israel in general, who didn't emanate from the Davidic dynasty, Shekatubahen, and the Pasuk says about them, Vaya'az hara Hashem, that they did evil, the wrong in the eyes of God, you should know, that's a reference about Ahaz, Ahaz, yeah, any other king where the Pasuk says that, Lo hayin nidonim. They neither have life in the world to come, but nor do they have uh, deen, do they have judgment in Gehenom, in the opposite of Olam Haba, which means to say, they have that in-between, yeah. hovering, in Benoni, eternal existence. We read about them. I can't say which one's worse or better. I could tell you. It makes a little bit of sense for the kings who did some good but were ambivalent in their approach to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to Am Yisrael. So it makes sense for our vision in turn. Of course, we have no full knowledge of neither, yeah. nor do the... Right, so it's a Rabbi saying maybe it's a cleansing, but it's a painful cleansing. Maybe it's the worst. I mean, there's different visions on this. Is it the worst? Or you didn't have to go through the same pain and you'll ultimately have entrance? We don't know how these things work. And what I'm telling you is I'm not certain that he, he might, has Masorit on this statement as much as he's giving a lesson with this statement and saying the same way they led their lives as this in-between stage, it stands to reason, that's what they got afterwards. Again, I'm suggesting he's not, not being Doresh and Pasuk. He's not per se set. He might be saying it from a tradition that he has, but more than anything, I think he's portraying who they were. Makes sense. That's the type of afterlife they would have as well. Says the Pasuk, Vigam dam naki shafach menash Pasuk describes Menashe. In addition, the end of the Pasuk says, to all that he did wrong with Avodah Zarah in the eyes of God, he also spilled innocent blood. It filled all of Jerusalem. That does not sound very positive. Sounds quite downright terrible, says the Gemara. But what did he do? We don't really know the specific reference in the life of Menashe where he took the lives of innocent people. It sounds like people in Am Yisrael, says the Gemara. There's two different interpretations, one from Bavel, the other from Eres Yisrael. Hacha, here in Bavel, Targimu, the interpretation is Sheharag Yesha'aya. That blood which filled the streets of Jerusalem is a reference to the death of Yeshaya. What do you mean the death? Of, that's right, the death of Yeshaya. He killed Yeshaya Navi. How did he kill him? So the Midrash has a specific way that he killed him, that Yeshaya Navi kind of avoiding the death which was in, impending from, uh, from Menashe has a way of using the name of God to bring himself swallowed by a, an etz a cedar tree as they're opening it up. The mouth of Yeshaya is what gets caught in some way, shape, or form, and he suffocates to death. That's the pe'il pe, points out Maharsha in this context. It's the mouth 
of Yeshayahu. Why was Yeshayahu deserving? Of course, it's not fully deserving, but in the eyes of the rabbis, what did Yeshayahu do to deserve this? We don't know of many other prophets who died in such a fashion. In the early, uh, um, uh, early um, storyline of Yeshayahu, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu turns to him and has him, uh, or is, is uh, sending him on a mission, he turns to God and he says, I sit betoch am temesifataim anochi Yoshef. I dwell amongst people who have contaminated lips. So he speaks about Am Yisrael in a negative, uh, putting down fashion. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kivyachol turns to him and says, uh, that's, that's how you envision it. Your lips will be the ultimate death penalty for you and you're punished from being that long-lasting leader because you don't fully appreciate the people you're amidst even though God is criticizing them throughout that's the way the hachamim envision it so that's the interpretation in Bavil as to what Menashe does to merit him or bring him that terrible designation of filling the city with blood of course the aftermath of this statement in the Gemara will be that you see the death of a Sadiq is like the death of uh, of a multitude because the Suk says the streets or, or the city of Jerusalem was filled with blood, but it's one person. But it's a righteous, important person. We envision it as all of Jerusalem being filled with blood. In Eris Israel, they suggest, Alternatively, it was that Menashe constructed, and so you kind of conflated two wrongdoings over here. He had constructed an idol which needed to be carried by a thousand people. They would daily be carrying this, and it was just too heavy for them, so it would crush them. It means that in Jerusalem, where apparently he had this idol and was moving it around from uh, time to time on a consistent basis, he's killing people because it's crushing them. To maneuver, to move this around was very difficult. It's envisioning, ironically, but very appropriately, the deaths of those innocent people as part of the wrongful service and worship of Menashe. Menashe is involved in Avodah Zarah. It's by means of Avodah Zarah that he's killing people. Keman Azla says the Gemara, I told you this is going to be the next statement. According to whom does the following statement uh, uh, follow? In other words, of those two interpretations, how can we attribute one of those two to this sort of vision? There's this statement from one of the Emoraim that uh, the entire world is parallel to the soul of one righteous person. Uh, we can now turn back to the last statement. Remember, Menashe, he spilled innocent blood throughout Jerusalem, according to the first interpretation. Remember the first interpretation? It's that he killed one person. Oh, and what's all of Jerusalem? You see, neshama, the single neshama of a sadiq, is shekula, it's scaled, it's weighed. Can I get kol ha'olam or kol ha'ir kulo? Keman de'amar, harag. It would be following, it would be according and supported by that opinion. Says the Gemara Ketib. Pesil, uchtiv, pesilim. One pasuk with regards to Menashe Harasha'ah, that terrible king says that he erected an, uh, an idol. The other pasuk says idols, in plural, pesilim. Which one was it? One idol? Or more than one idol? I mean, you know, our Navi is generally, if not always, uh, very accurate, very clear in its descriptions. Was it one idol or more than one idol? Amar Biyohanan batahila asalo persufehad. Biyohanan suggests initially it was really one idol. And until the end, it was really just one idol, one pesil. So then, well, well, tell me about it. It had pesuf ehad, it had one countenance, which means to say there was only one face on it. So if you looked at this idol, there was one way of looking at it from the front. 
However, ultimately speaking, as time progressed, as time went on, he put a face on all three other sides, which means to say, any direction you looked at this idol, which was placed in the Mikdash, as we'll see a little bit later in the Gemara, you would see it and be looking at it as if that's the front of it. Why would he do something like that? It was specifically in order to anger the Shekhinah, the indwelling of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, the, the vision, almost the anthropomorphic vision of Rabbi Yohanan over here is HaKadosh Baruch Hu entering into his home, his abode, the Mikdash, would open the door and he'd walk in, ah, oh, look who's staring at me. He comes, so I'll like, oh, go in from the other entrance. Look who's staring at me from there. In every direction I enter in from Minashe's vision is, uh, this one will be looking at him. It'll anger him. It's a description, and we'll see a lot of this now to come in the Gemara. We haven't seen much of this until now with regards to Yiravam bin Navat. We saw him as self-centered. Ahav, we saw as somewhat confused. We saw him as uh, being poseach. He was skipping in between two domains and lifestyles and, uh, and, uh, and devotions. Now Minashe is going to be the first one together with all these other terrible kings as being they're specifically looking to rebel they're brazenly facing God and constructing things to go at him not to be side by side because there's a confusion not to serve themselves but rather to go at him that's the first description the pisilim was he started off as just one he was following the ways of not his father but some others who preceded him the Aqavs, the Yeravams but then he moved into the angering God he'emido ba'aliyah Excuse me, it says the Gemara onward, Ahaz, you should know about Ahaz, terrible king, he took an idol or that idol and he placed it in the Aliyah, the attic, the top area of the Mikdash. The Pasuk describes Aliyat Ahaz, the upper area of the Mikdash was the area of Ahaz. Why was it known as the area of Ahaz? Why was it the attic of Ahaz? He was the first to place idols there. That's a terrible thing. You have, uh, generally speaking, if you're envisioning this as a holy place, you say, what are we going to place it upstairs? Uh, that which is watching over us. Let's put idols. Menashe, Menashe gets it worse. He places it in the Hechal and closer to the worshipping area in the Mikdash. So the Pasuk describes how he placed an idol in the Mikdash, the place that David and Shilomo were a part of building, which means to say put in the Hechal, not per se, in the innermost chamber, but he already placed it uh, not just uh, hovering above in the attic, he put it in the place where we come to worship God. Amon, the son of Menashe, Ahaz, I'm sorry, his grandson was, uh, was what's his name, Menashe. And now the great-grandson, Amon, Amon, born into a family of wrongdoing. It may have been that his jido, that his grandfather, Hizkiah, was a righteous one, but his father was Machiset HaKadosh Baruch He's not the first, but one of the first to specifically go at God, face-to-face, taking a peso, placing it in the Hechal, his son, it's only a step further, and it's a predictable one. Amon places it in Kodesh HaKodashim, Kodesh HaKodashim, the innermost chamber, the place where the Aaron is, the place we only enter, the Kohen, on, on Kippur, with Ketoret Sheneemar, because after all, the Pasuk almost poetically describes Ki Kasar HaMasa Mihistarea, 
the, uh, the, the sheet or the, the blanket is, uh, the sheet, the bedspread, is too small to be spread out. That's the first part of the pasuk. The hamasecha and the covering, sarah kihitkanes, it's too narrow to bring in. So we're going to be doresh this pasuk about menashe. What's that first part of the pasuk? What does it mean that the bedspread is too short uh, it's not long enough to be spread out. Amar Bishmuel bar Nachmeni, Amar Bionatan, ki kasar hamazah zeh melehistarer alav shenereim ke'ehad. It's a reference to uh, the bedspread, the, the, excuse me, the mattress, better yet. The mattress is too narrow to have two friends or two foes on it at the same time. It's a reference to the fact that in the eyes of the hachamim, Menashe takes a pesel, places it in kochea kodashim, and in turn, there's no room for both this Pesel and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's a terrible thought. It's a, it's a horrible description of envisioning a time and place wherein we thought that we're sharing space between this and God. What does it mean? And the covering um, was uh, not able to bring in. Amar Bishmuel bar Nachmeni Ahaz Bitelet Excuse me. Amar Bishmuel bar Nachmeni Ahaz Bitelet Avodah no, I'm, I'm skipping a line. What? Rabbi Yonatan, I'm sorry. Excuse me. When Rabbi Yonatan would get to this pasuk, that the opening, uh, that, that there wasn't space to, to incorporate all, he would cry. What was he crying about? Uh, he said, on the one hand, it says about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we know this from Ma'aseh Bereshit, he gathered all the waters in order to bring forth land. Uh, the all-powerful HaKadosh Baruch Hu, infinite in his abilities. He, uh, it's about him that the Pasuk then is describing that there was no room for his entrance. Again, it's a terrible state of time. It's not actually, of course, Rabbi Yonatan is crying about it because it's the vision of the people. It's our experience. It's God's interaction with the world. It's not actually that we pushed him out and there wasn't room for him. But alternatively, it's the description of how Ahaz, how Menashe, how uh, then Amon are bringing forth a state and time wherein we look at it and we say the reason God has seemingly abandoned us is because we didn't make enough space for him. That's Rabbi Onatan's crying more than anything else. He's not actually diminishing from the strength and capabilities of God. He's alternatively saying, when we look at the infinite God and then see his interaction with us because of the way we treated him, what a terrible, sorrowful state of being we are in. Baruch Amen. Amen.